0: Hello, my name is Keaton Zaglow. I'm a junior at the University of Washington and a history major intending on one day becoming, hopefully, a high school history teacher. I tell people I want to become a teacher to teach youth the real history of the world and not the textbook perspective. In this podcast today, we will be discussing the Pearl Harbor bombings by Japan that happened on military facilities killing soldiers versus the Japanese atomic bombs by America on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which killed civilians. Did Pearl Harbor give the United States victimization of weaponry of the American military? Did it help paint a legacy of racism for decades to come? Did the military industrial contacts back then use this mechanism in order to build justification for Japanese internment camps after the war because of fear of the victim? Well, let's find out. Japan and America as separate nations had a relationship of resentment since the late 1800s, so a war between the two is oh, yeah. no surprise that it eventually did happen. In 1941, World War II was in full swing with Hitler in power. The song in the background actually is called What a Time, really talking about that time period and how like every nation right now was involved in war. So Japan and America being two big powerhouses, getting involved in this makes a lot of sense. But what happens next between these two nations that takes place? December 7th, 1941, was the day of the Pearl Harbor attack. In the article, Remembering Pearl Harbor, a Pearl Harbor fact sheet, it discussed the death toll being 2,403 U.S. personnel, including 68 civilians, and destroyed or damaged 19 U.S. Navy ships, including eight battleships. With all the destruction and loss of life, President Roosevelt released a speech the next day called Day of Infamy to America on December 8th, 1941, on the aftermath. So, let's listen to some of that speech right now.
1: The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation, and, at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government and its emperor, looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific."
0: Later in that speech, Roosevelt asked Congress for and received a declaration of war against Japan. On December 11th, Germany and Italy allied with Japan, declaring war on the United States. The U.S. had officially entered World War II. America was now officially in World War II. But how did the American military respond to Pearl Harbor? My friend and I, Sid Walter, was a podcast herself. It's called Teeny, spelled T-E-E-N-Y. If you have the chance, you should give the podcast a listen to. The world is filled with lots of not-so-teeny topics that many people may not talk about, but at teeny, that's what Sid challenges. So if you want a podcast that jumps into those questions, shows you how to learn and unlearn things, and gives you a space to recognize yourself for who you are or who you may want to be, this is the podcast for you. Check it out on all streaming platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Okay, okay, enough promoting, but (laughs) back to the conversation between me and Sid. I told Sid I was taking a military class on the technologies of World War I and World War II, and we started to talk about how history students in America are taught about the devastation that we were caused by the Japanese, such as Pearl Harbor. But what about this devastation we caused our own Japanese-American citizens, which presents the intersection of the militarization complex, which is beyond air bombings and extends into the unseen harm. Those unseen harms are the internment camps and are a very overlooked part in history, because America, and the system, wants us to do it so in this way. Executive Order 9066 by President Franklin Roosevelt on February 19, 1942. On page 3 of the document it states, prescribing regulations for the conduct control of alien enemies. So in an aspect, the document itself never said the race or ethnicity of people but only referenced them once as aliens. Why? They did not want to acknowledge what the United States was doing as a whole. Citizens in the United States became worried in that time era and threatened thought of American-Japanese citizens as a concern and conspired that they were spies working against them. When the document was signed, it made it legal to relocate around 100,000 Japanese Americans on the west coast to be removed to inland incarceration camps. Families were forced to leave their homes and their lives behind just because of their ethnicity. This leads to our next topic, the Korematsu decision. Fred Korematsu was a Japanese-American who spoke out on the violation. Fred believed that the order was unconstitutional. The order violated the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Korematsu's actions went all the way to the Supreme Court on December 18, 1944, which upheld 6-3 in a vote in the conviction of Fred Korematsu. With that decision, in that court case, it displayed and demonstrated the impact of the military over its power on colonializing human beings. Nonetheless, the American military took things into their own hands. In 1945, the atomic bombs in Japan dropped. If I'm going to be honest, trying to find a recording to talk about the devastations that happened was difficult. Most of the stories are gruesome, and it's a part of history America should not be proud of. In the NPR broadcast, After the Hiroshima Bombings, Survivors Sorted Through the Horror by Scott Simon, he talks about a journalist named John Hershey. Hershey went to visit Hiroshima in 1945 for the New Yorker magazine after the bombings occurred. Hershey took accounts of stories from survivors. One story he took was a man named Tanimoto. Let's listen to the story Hershey got on Tanimoto's perspective on the day the bombs dropped.
1: spits on which hundreds of wounded lay. Mr. Tanemoto found about twenty men and women on the sand spit. He drove the boat onto the bank and urged them to get aboard. They did not move and he realized that they were too weak to lift themselves. He reached down and took a woman by the hands but her skin slipped off in huge glove-like pieces. He was so sickened by this that he had to sit down for a moment. Then he got out into the water and though a small man lifted several of the men and women Who were naked into his boat? Their backs and breasts were clammy, and he remembered uneasily what the great burns he had seen during the day had been like. Yellow at first, then red and swollen, with skin sloughed off, and finally in the evening, suppurated and smelly, he lifted the slimy living bodies out and carried them up the slope away from the tide. He had to keep consciously repeating to himself these are human beings.
0: They were human beings. And people need to remember that. In the book, The Winning Weapon, The Atomic Bomb in the Cold War, by Greg Harkin, he stated, A reasonable guess is that 350,000 people were in Hiroshima on August 6th, 1945. Almost 80,000 people died that day, and the death toll from burns and radiation reached 140,000 by the end of the year. The bombings in Nagasaki killed more than 250,000 people on August 9th, with at least 200 more thousand people dying from its effects by the end of the year. The atomic bomb by America did not just create a new nuclear age power, but it changed generations on air power forever. Pearl Harbor is one of the most devastating events in American military history, probably. But to drop atomic bombs on civilians is just inhumane. It's cruel, it's evil, and just not something that we reflect on as Americans as a society what we did and what we've done how that hurt still impacts people almost 75 years later in history today so America itself might have saved future lives but striking with a huge counterpunch like we did as a nation do country look at us differently now are we seen as evil or like a dictatorship in other people's eyes because of what we've done in the past and what we could possibly do in the future in a nation did we respond in the right way if I'm gonna be honest I'm gonna say no we did not respond accordingly as a nation then encapitating our own Japanese American citizens just doesn't really make sense to me in 2021 for them to do in that time era I understand the fear and resentment but that was just not something that should have ever happened it was just a free card for racism basically and we just exploited that with our military power in this podcast today as an American 2021 I just want to reflect my privilege and how those folks back then might have felt in that time era and how things for them and how they weren't treated equally. And I just really wanted to recognize that in a way. War itself, though, is it such a tricky topic and something that's always so hard to discuss to see both sides and both perspectives. And it's definitely always one of the most gruesome parts of every history of every nation, every country. Now, to end the podcast, I am going to refer to a quote Professor Mohofer said on the first day in class, and that is, no war is a good war. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Again, shout out to my friend Sid Walter for having an educational history discussion with me. It meant a lot. This is your host, Kate and Zaglow, signing off, and I hope you have a wonderful day.